0: when we put conditions on the love, it's not love. It doesn't feel like love. You can say it to yourself. I love myself, but I have to do this and that. The but is going to negate the whole love.
1: Hello. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Active Ingredient Podcast. I am your host, Sophie Wheel, and I am a deeply curious person on my own personal journey of self-discovery and personal growth. This is a podcast all about the journey and figuring out what makes us come alive and prioritizing whatever that is every single day. When I started the podcast over two years ago, I thought that I would get the answers externally and the more conversations I had and the more work that I did on myself, the more I realized that every single answer and all of the truths lie within and in the silence. I know that may sound a bit overwhelming, which is why my mission is to have candid conversations with relatable humans who I feel have truly come alive and get really clear about how they've come home to themselves, as well as share my own discoveries along the way. Welcome to Active Ingredient. My biggest wish for you is that you feel alive and that you tap into your Active Ingredient every single day. Hello, we are back with another Active Ingredient guest episode, and I hope that you're doing amazing. I hope that you are adjusting to this one-hour time difference if you're in the U.S., I literally had no idea that there was a time. Like, I don't know how I totally missed this. Like, I didn't get the memo and the day of the time change, I just was very confused at around two. But anyway, I just hope that you guys are all adjusting. And before we get into the guest of this week's episode, I just wanted to take a second to thank you guys seriously so freaking much for listening. Recently, we've been growing the podcast a lot. And I just wanted to take a moment to thank you really for real from the bottom of my heart for listening to the podcast, for rating and reviewing it. I know I've seen that more of you have been doing that, which is amazing because it actually really does help get the podcast in front of other listeners. If you have not done it yet, I really, really, really would appreciate if you gave Active Ingredient five stars on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. It literally takes one second. And if you feel really inclined to, I would love if you can leave a review that will take just another second. I only say this, it's not really for like vanity or anything like that. It's that when people rate and review the podcast, it actually brings the podcast in front of others. It's the algorithm of the podcast sphere. So when people rate and review, it actually brings the podcast in front of other like-minded seekers, like our active ingredient audience. So that's the reason why. And I also, I just wanted to thank you guys because I have been seeing you more of you rating and reviewing it. So thank you. Thank you. If you listened to my episode with Mimi Gandor two episodes ago, you know that I am currently in the middle of yoga teacher training, which I'm truly obsessed with. Like It has been the best experience ever. And if you did not listen to that episode, that's just a life update. I'm in a yoga teacher training with Mimi in Miami, and it is a 200-hour certification program. So I did the episode with Mimi two episodes ago, who um, is the founder of the Mimi Yoga School. And this week's episode is with another one of my teachers from the program, Awa Josephson. Awa is a certified hypnosis practitioner who specializes in subconscious reprogramming. It has been truly so incredible working with her. She's really helped us a lot with technical anatomy type things, you know, a lot of like the technical poses. But the thing that has really just impressed me the most has been the work that she's been doing with us. At the end of our classes, she'll do light hypnosis on us. And it is just one of those things that I can't, you have to do it to know what it feels like, but it's just so incredible. It's so powerful. I wanted to have her on the show to talk about what she specializes in, which is that, which is she's a certified hypnosis practitioner and she specializes in subconscious reprogramming. And I don't know about you guys, but before having met her, even in that first yoga class, I was actually really scared of hypnosis. I was like, what is, what is she going to do? Like, what, what is this? Like, am I not going to be in control? Like that's the misconception. So I'm really excited for you guys to understand the practice of what hypnosis actually is when it comes to healing. So on today's episode, we're getting into what hypnosis actually is in comparison to what we see in the movies, the power of imagination. What is the difference between hypnosis and meditation? how we can tap into the subconscious mind in a way that actually serves us and gets us closer to our truth, and powerful tools, mantras, and questions to ask yourself to make decisions in alignment with your higher self. So with that, welcome Awa to the show. I love you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that you have a beautiful, beautiful week. And thank you so much again for listening. Awa, thank you so much for being in the studio. I can't I feel like I know a little bit about your story, but I'm so excited to get into everything. What you do is so niche and so cool. And I'm just I'm really grateful that you're here.
0: Thank you. <laughs> I am so, so happy to be here. I'm super oh, excited. Thank you.
1: So <laughs> no, don't be nervous. It's really just a conversation. Like I, I feel very similar to you how I feel about Mimi for those listening, a past podcast guest, also my yoga instructor. There's something to the energy of both of you. It's different energies, but you have a very soothing, calm energy.
0: Where does that come from? So I think it's because when I grew up, my mom was very anxious. Mm. And there was always a need, I think, to soothe. And I think a lot of people can relate to this, that you become kind of an expert of being the calming. You soothed yourself, you mean? uh, Her. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. So this is this is pretty common. As a child, you will adapt to any situation, right? What what needs to be, you will make it happen. Mm-hmm. So in my case, it was going to be a lot of anxiety, a lot of very like anxious energy and I decided to always be the calm one, right? In that relationship. Then of course, that is going to bite you in the back and other things because then you're gonna have your ah! yeah. <laughs> your crazy moments maybe in school or in other moments where it like kind of bubbles out and you're like not really sure where it's coming from because you've been suppressing a lot. Wow. You've
1: had this calm energy your whole life from when you can remember as a kid? And then at what point did you realize that it was coming out? Like, did you notice it in school when it would come out and manifest
0: in different ways? Or Yeah, it started really early. I would have like huge tantrums. I would be kind of like a wild child, a free spirit, if you want to say it nicely. Yeah. Somebody who gets in a lot of trouble.
1: I can't picture this <laughs> version of you. I literally can't be like, you're yeah. so... Even the day that I met you, it's like you have this like very calm, angelic vibe to you. I can't picture you being like wild. I don't yeah. know.
0: It's really funny. And and it's changed a lot because of um, all the work I've done. It's changed a lot. And now it's it's an authentic version of me sitting here, like being able to, yeah, you know, be a little crazy or not always adjust to other people's energy, but, but I had to at home, I had to adjust so much to other people's energy. So. For
1: survival, like to be able to cope with the, with the situation that you're in. I feel like, and that might be extreme, but that resonates about like the kids will do whatever to be able to belong or to be able to be in a, in a situation where they're still going to get fed.
0: They're still going to be Loved Exactly. It is survival. It's hardwired. So for a child, it's hardwired to do anything to be taken care of because we can't take care of ourselves yet. Mm-hmm. So it is survival in a way. And you don't even obviously think about it. Right. It's As just a it's just programming that happens. Everything that happens during childhood is mostly in your subconscious mind you're not as rational yet. You're not taking rational decisions about what to do, but you're feeling into each situation and what's needed of you and what's expected of you. And a lot of the programming comes from that, like in between the lines messages, like it's not that people straight up tell you, you have to be calm or you have to be this way, but you pick up on it. Do you
1: have an example of how that that manifested for you, like an in-between situation where you internalize that as you needing to be calm? I
0: think it was just daily. I think it was just all the time, you know, like a person that is always like in her emotional world, like I'm freaking out about this. I'm feeling upset about that. And there was no room for me to have any feelings of that kind because I had to balance that by being like, I'm okay. Yeah. Don't worry about me. hmm <laughs>
1: Totally. Are you the oldest I'm or the, the only, only? I'm
0: the only one. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: That's that's so fascinating to me. I'm always so curious about the guests. Like, are you the oldest, the youngest? Like, do you have ten siblings, two? It really changes who you are as a person if you're like, you know, taking care of if you're the oldest one and going through that and also like protecting kids like your younger siblings, like that whole dynamic is really interesting to me. I am curious, and this is something that I ask all my guests. You're kind of talking to it a little bit right now of what you were like as a kid, but before assuming this role of the calm one or the one that can't express, do you remember
0: what you were like pre that at all? I think I was very expressive, which is funny, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember, you know, I went... Like your
1: natural self is expressive.
0: Yeah. Okay. I went to dance classes when I was two, I started and my dance teacher was always like, you're the sunshine, you know, you're the one like coming in with so much emotion and expression. And I never lost that, thank God, but it's a filter. So you start to filter certain things like this is not appropriate. This I'm going to keep to myself. And you get so used to it that you don't notice that you do it.
1: So how did you start noticing a pattern that was not your true self? Because I I asked this thinking of the listener or anyone that like could be just going about their life, doing things that were programmed in them when they were little, not knowing that that may not be the true authentic expression of themselves. Like, how did you figure that out that that was not you?
0: So the signs were there all along. Like one of the main signs is the pendulum swinging. Like, like, Mm. like we already said, you know, you're super calm and then you're super not calm. Like it's like the extremes that you, you're not able to access the centered, uh, calm, like actually calm self, but you're, you're like in those extremes, swinging back and forth. And, and that I noticed throughout my whole adolescence a lot, you know. I found poetry, which was the best thing that could have happened. So when I was nine, I started writing and first it was a journal and then it turned into poetry. And I realized this thing that if you sit down and you kind of space out a little bit, like the poem just comes. And I got really into dream work and, you know, very, very interested in the subconscious mind because of all the things I had repressed. It was so interesting to me that I could sit down and kind of like suddenly get all the feelings out on the paper, like feelings I didn't even know that I had. And then I could look at the poem and read the poem and really feel those feelings that I wasn't feeling. So it was it was my escape.
1: How did you find that? I feel like nine is very young and very wise to even like lean on that? How did you find that first entry point into the subconscious?
0: I don't remember. It just, it was just always there. It's weird. And maybe I just picked up a poetry book. I i know that I started reading adults book very early. I started reading my mom's and my dad's books and, and probably I just picked up a poetry book.
1: Wow. Okay. So, so talk to me like in that, in that period from when you started through adolescence, what did that journey look like of still going through the motions of the pendulum swinging and going back and forth turbulence and then finding your way back to learning more about it? What, what did that look like?
0: I think it was the crutch that like took me through everything. Like it was still hard. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a great upbringing, but I managed. It made me survive. It took me through it. It wasn't like it made everything amazing and I figured it all out. Like really when I started really figuring out it was in my 30s.
1: Wow. So what do you mean by really figuring it out?
0: To me, there was... Back then, the subconscious mind was this mystical place. It was kind of like, you know, the ocean that you can kind of like swim into and experience. And then you come out and you're kind of like, whoa, what was that? And I didn't realize yet that your imagination is with you all the time. And all your thoughts and all your self-talk is all a part of that. And it's so easy to change it. So... At this point, I'm looking for answers. I'm looking for somebody to tell me, why am I like this? And of course, nobody can answer that. So, so I looked for answers everywhere. I was a seeker. I remember you saying, this is a podcast for seekers, which I love. I was a seeker and I kept looking for the answer, looking for, I think in hindsight, I was looking for permission also to be the way that I was. So you did know who you were. I did know I was this quirky, weird person.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're a perfect person. So you did, but you did have access to that. Because that, that is interesting, though, that you knew that she lived there and you wanted to search for her and yeah. wanted permission for her. Yeah, exactly. Wow. So, okay, so you started searching, researching. At what point were you like... I want to understand what was the catalyst at 30 to go down or was it in your 30s that you said, like, what was the catalyst that even made you question, why am I like this? Like what? What are you referencing
0: when you're like, like this? Why am I like this was more my childhood and my adolescence. It was like, you know, I came from a deep subconscious belief that there was something wrong with me. And this was never outspoken. I couldn't have told you that then, but now I know that that was like, The deep, deep, deep root of this issue was, there must be something wrong with me. Because why don't I have that like loving, caring, beautiful family that I see other people have around me? Mm -hmm. So, like most childs, I put that on myself. That's what children typically do, unfortunately. Instead of seeing, oh shit, I'm surrounded by people that have a lot of issues. Mm -hmm. It's not me, it's them. You take it on. So... So I think during that time, the, the question to me was like, why am I like this? And I was looking, looking, looking. And, and, and the why is the worst question. The why is the question I never ask clients. It's, it's what I always move away from. Why? <laughs> so why is, first of all, impossible to answer. So if you ask, why am I like this, it's 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 going to take longer than a lifetime to figure that out because you can't live your life backwards and go through every single thing that ever happened. And then what happens is, oh, I'm like this because this person was like that to me. Then why are they like that? And then, you know, it keeps so going. It's a,
1: right. So what do you find to be the line? Because I think that there is something really empowering to understanding the circumstance in which you came from to make peace with it and move forward. So where do you find the line there of asking why to a certain point to then from that point choose, okay, this was this no longer serves me, but I understand where it comes from and then move forward from there. Where do you find to be the balance there?
0: You changed the question just slightly. So you ask, what am I doing? How am I doing it? So what you want to know really is, What am I doing that's serving me? What am I doing that's not serving me? So once you know what you're doing that is not serving you, you ask yourself, how am I doing it? And those two questions will lead you to the solution. It will lead you to, okay, so how can I do it differently? So I'm, let's say, um, suppressing my emotions. How am I doing it? It doesn't really matter why, right? It's how am I doing it?
1: So, do you don't think that like therapy, for example, is the examination of the why or it's like the examination of past, right? So, do you feel like for personal growth that therapy is not really necessary if you're asking those questions from a now moving on perspective?
0: I think a really good therapist lets you go through your why because we love to go through our why and we love to analyze our story. And it's just a part of also, again, we're, we're almost hardwired to do that. Mm-hmm. And everybody has to have the opportunity to do it. And God knows they've done it. (laughs) But a really good therapist, they will let you do that. And they will listen to you and let you take your time to go through your story. But then they will ask, you know, what is not serving you? How are you doing those things? And how could you do it differently instead? Because if those questions never come up, the change doesn't come. So Mm -hmm. a really old way of thinking of it is that when you know why, you have the change. But it's not like that. I consistently work with people that mostly have the why already. A lot of people that already done therapy or, or at least they have an idea of like, yeah, this is what happened to me. They have their story. And then the catalyst for the change is, okay, so what is it that you're doing? And how are you doing that? How could you do it instead? How would be a new way of doing it that would work better for you? And you have to get endlessly curious with the person because everybody's universe is completely different. Everybody's subconscious mind has its own logic. So I can never sit down with the person and assume that, oh, they're doing the the same thing that I'm doing and then assume that they're doing it for the same reasons I was doing it because it can be completely different reasons. So you have to go through that curiosity to find out how is this serving you, this behavior? How does it feel safe? Does it give you some pleasure? Does it usually, usually it's safety or pleasure is it the two motivations of the subconscious mind.
1: How did you get to asking yourself those questions? And do you remember when you were starting to figure this out? what you were choosing at the time that was serving you and what was not serving you?
0: Yeah, so it was the self-talk. So it was this idea that, like I said, that you know maybe deep down there's something wrong with me because I do these things that don't make sense, that don't serve me, right? Mm -hmm. Like self-sabotaging behaviors. And before I had the awareness, when I did a self-sabotaging behavior, I would come down on myself for it. I would be like, Why are you doing this? What's wrong with you? And to change that into, how is this serving you? How is this not serving you? How can you do it differently? How can you love and support yourself to have a better outcome for yourself, to like become your own best friend, to become endlessly compassionate with yourself and recognize that everything you do, it always has a positive intention. So even the most... um, destructive behaviors, they always have a positive intention. And this is one of the things that when I work with people, they're always so surprised because they tell me something that they see as super negative. And I ask, so what's the positive intention behind that? And we don't think about that. But once we start thinking about that, then we could replace it with something else.
1: Can you give an example?
0: Yeah. The most common one is when we push people away. So like you want a relationship, but maybe when you get close to somebody, you push them away or somehow you sabotage the relationship and then you hate yourself for it, right? So what's the positive intention? I already mentioned. You're protecting yourself. Safety. You want to feel safe. So that's when you have to become super compassionate with yourself and create a way to feel safe while you're also working towards the outcome that you want, which is to actually connect with people and let them in.
1: So what's the practice there? If you have the recognition, so I'm doing this to protect myself, what is the practice of recognizing that and course correcting in a way that serves you and gives you the connection?
0: You usually have to slow down in that situation because if you're like, let's say you're longing for love so much that you meet somebody and you're like, wow, I just want to get as close to this person as possible that's like the urge from from the heart from like wanting that belonging yeah and then you throw yourself in there and maybe you tell them like something super traumatic or or super deep and personal and you become super vulnerable and then the pendulum swings and then you push them away or you sabotage or or you do something right so so it's to slow down to slow down, like, what pace can I do that, that, that This feels safe? And also to put up the boundaries. So the boundaries are amazing for feeling safe. Like, who do I open up to? What does it take for me to open up to this person? Do they have to show me first that, you know, they're trustworthy, mm-hmm. that they feel safe? And really to take your time with it.
1: Amazing. Amazing, amazing. I want to understand, I know that we're kind of going a little bit all over the place, but I am fascinated by you. And and again, your energy is just incredible. I'm curious your journey from Sweden to Miami, what brought you here? And did your yoga journey start in Sweden or in Miami?
0: So it started technically in New York. So when I was 25. You were born in New York? No. Um, (laughs) Born in Sweden. Yeah. Born and raised in Sweden. So I was in Sweden until I was 25. When I was 23, I had just graduated from journalist school. I was a journalist and I uh, managed to sell a job in New York. Like it was elections and I was going there to write about the uh, election. Wow. Um, it was the place I used to intern at. So they barely paid me, but I was super excited. right? Yeah. <laughs> So I went to New York. It was my first time in the U.S. as an adult. I'd been there as a kid with my parents, but I didn't, you know, have any like real memories of that. So I arrived in New York and something completely switched in me when I came to New York. I felt so free. I felt like this is home. This, this is where I belong. This is where I can be me. This is where I can be accepted. I, you know, this, this is the place.
1: I think a lot of people feel that in New York. Yeah. It's a very accepting place. Yeah. Because everybody's different.
0: And it's all seekers. Yeah.
1: It's seekers that are looking to be accepted,
0: pretty much. Exactly. So I came back to Sweden and I was devastated. I was like, how am I going to make this move? And um, it took me two years. Like how it ended was that I just got a flight six months into the future, two days after my 25th birthday, because I was like, I'm going to have a big party on my 25th birthday. So I could say goodbye to all my friends and I'm going to be hung over and then I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> so I was not able to plan like, and I mean, still to this day, this is not my strong suit. <laughs> I'm not organized. I'm not a good planner. I'm like, I'm a dreamer, right? So I got my flight six months into the future. The only plan was, you know, the birthday party. Then I was going and I had like some place in Lower East Side that I found on Craigslist that I had for a few weeks. Oh, wow. And the plan was to stay there forever. <laughs> 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 so it, it was funny because it was all future pacing. Like, so now I know what this is because we do it in hypnosis all the time. It's like you, you set up a future for yourself, like. You know, I'm going to be in New York and your subconscious mind becomes so used to it. I had six months to get used to this idea that it was happening and it happened and it worked out like crazily. It did work out like I managed to eventually get work visa and and everything else. I mean, it wasn't an easy time, but it was an amazing time of my life. I mean, no matter how broke I was in the beginning, I loved it.
1: I love that. So you came to Miami and you started practicing. You did your teacher training here.
0: Yeah. So after three years in New York, I was burnt out because I didn't know how to say no. (laughs) So I was doing every and every any project I was ever asked to do and like spreading myself way too thin. And then I started dreaming about a vacation, like a tropical island or something. And I was working for a designer at the time, and she was opening a store in, in Miami D- Design District, and she needed somebody to go and manage for a few months. And I was like, I'm doing it. And never in a million years did I think I wouldn't come back to New York because I was so attached to New York. But once I came to Miami, I started to go on another journey. <laughs> I started journaling again, actually, and, and going really deep and, and really like getting like a little distance to my New York years and how I burnt out, like what it was that, you know, it was so amazing. It was the best thing that ever happened to me, but also in the end, it did burn me out. And I, and I got curious about that. Like, what was it? Why wasn't I able to have boundaries or say no and always trying new things without having um, a clear direction? It was really hard for me to plan my future.
1: But do you think that that's just like a function of being young and like not knowing? you know?
0: It is, but it's also a trauma response. Mm. So when you're in fight or flight mode, you can't access the part of your brain that is planning the future. And I think that I had been in some kind of mild fight or flight state my whole life. So I'd never really even experienced that part. Like, how do you plan your future? Like I've been trying really hard, but like it was just super hard, super difficult.
1: Can you, I want you to go into that a little bit more. What does that mean? Exactly. Like the not being able to plan, like how far out would you not be able to plan?
0: Like you're very capable of planning the things that you have to do now. I never had a problem with a deadline when I was a journalist or, you know, paying my bills or that kind of planning was not a problem, but but, for the pleasure of it, just dreaming about where do I want to be in one year, where do I want to be in five years, where do I want to be in ten years, that was so hard
1: interesting while being a dreamer at the same time, so you could dream about it but couldn't plan for
0: it exactly so so my dreams would be so extreme and so hundred percent in the subconscious mind where anything is possible, so it would be like, yeah i'm going to something that's really unattainable sometimes maybe what is it? I think when I was in New York, I wanted to be an artist that was just like independently living life as a performance artist and just get paid for that or something I don't know you know like yeah like like it was really hard for me to like see what what are my actual skills and how am I going to use them to create the life that I want so when I got to Miami I finally started to I think come down from this fight or flight mode that I'd always been in, always, always been like in a state of emergency. I was working extremely well in a state of emergency. That's why it was easy for me to do that crazy move too. So for me, when I really, really came out of, of that fight or flight was one day in a yoga class, I was in Shavasana and suddenly I started feeling like I was a part of everything. Like I was a part of the room, all the people that was in the room. And then I realized, no, I'm just, I'm I'm a part of the building, the city, the world that like, like I'm one with everything. You felt oneness. (laughs) Yeah. And I had never felt that before. Because imagine if if you're like deep subconscious belief, is there something wrong with me? That's like basically putting up a wall that I'm not one with Exactly.
1: It's like the definition
0: of separation of like you versus me or me versus world or... So in that moment, everything changed. I came out of Shavasana, which is the rest after yoga. And I I remember I walked out of the room. I bought a yoga mat because I didn't have a mat at the time. And I decided that I was going to be a yoga teacher, not because I wanted to save the world or help anybody else, but just because I wanted that feeling again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Let's talk about the nervous system. You recently taught us in the class about the fight, flight, and freeze response and how the goal of any decision is really to just try to get you back into balance. And sometimes those those decisions don't have long-term, like for example, if you're trying to get back to balance and you lean on alcohol, that's something that you think is serving you to get back to balance, but it can only serve for a certain period of time. There's other long lasting decisions that can help you get back to balance, like choosing yoga, meditation, et cetera. What is something that you've seen be a common choice that people make to try to get back to balance that does not serve?
0: The most common thing is is the pendulum swinging. So it's it's going from one extreme to the other. Because when we're at one extreme, the way to balance is to do the other extreme. Mm-hmm. And then that creates just that movement back and forth. And we never really stop in the middle because we're always balancing out for the previous one. It, it could be like, you know, going out partying, going crazy, and then being like, "No, now I'm only going to eat veggies and like read a book," you know, and and just like be like extreme. So, so the way to find the balance is actually to find out what you need and to be more compassionate with yourself again, because your balance maybe is to have a glass of wine, maybe it is to, I don't know, you know, because we have a lot of limiting beliefs about what's good and what's bad and. Sometimes we have to let go a little bit about of those limiting beliefs and and give ourselves what we need to feel balanced to feel good. Maybe we want to be super social and we feel bad that we're, you know, not going to this event or but to check in. Like do I really want to go and see people right now? Like am I ready for that?
1: To me it makes sense that like you work on first the relationship of trusting. Yeah. And then you're able to lean on that. What yeah. Tools can we give the listeners on how to build that trust if their instinct or their reaction to us saying the listening to what you need and giving it to yourself if they have that reaction of like well I can't trust what myself would tell me you know what tools can we give them to build that trust
0: it is that foundational belief that ultimately I'm not going to be good to myself or ultimately I'm not really good enough or or, you know, I'm not capable of doing this, right? It's a limiting belief. It's a negative belief. And in hypnosis, we, we or I at least, I always start there. That's always where I start. That's like- With my, trusting yourself? Always. Trusting yourself, loving yourself, being your own best friend. And recognizing that there's always a positive intention. When you're doing the pendulum swinging from one extreme to another, you have the positive intention. You want to balance yourself out. It's just not working because it's just like too much, too little, too much, too little. And and it feels uncomfortable maybe to be in the middle at first. But you have to get just very compassionate and very curious. Those are the two things that you need to do this journey.
1: Uh, how long would you say of like committing to that, that that becomes default? Because I'm 30 and I feel like I'm constantly and I, I do feel like now, especially with a gratitude practice, my brain actually thank God is really searching for positives now because I've done the practice for so many years and it has taken me years though. And I never give up the practice because I know it's a practice. And I don't know what your thoughts are on that being the human default or if that's just like a circumstance default or what, but like, how long would you say it takes for someone to be practicing that messaging to themselves for that to be the default?
0: Depends so much. So this depends so much because I have literally people who listen to one of my hypnosis recordings on self-love and self-trust and and they kind of like just click into it. I don't know if it always lasts forever, but I think most of the time it's just a practice. It's like, do you brush your teeth on your own? I mean, you still tell yourself to brush your teeth, right? But it's it's easy because it's something you've been doing, right? It's a habit. But it never really happens completely automatically. You still have to. Sometimes you're tired and you're like, no, I know Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel better after I brush my teeth. And you do it. And with the self-love, the self-trust is is to find the things that help you go in that direction. Because we we always need the tools. So, you know, for you, it's the gratitude meditation. For some people, it's their affirmations that they use or the friend that they call or the walk they take or their yoga practice or... It's always going to be a practice. It's not, I mean, it would be nice if we were just simply born with it and it was effortless, but there is the negativity bias. And that's something that we always have to fight against.
1: You think we're born with it or you think it's it's like societal
0: or? We're born with a negativity bias because it used to keep us alive. So the part of our brain that has, you know, the fight or flight, the the very primitive part of our brain, which is actually also most of our brain is very primitive. It doesn't care about your happiness. It just wants to keep you alive. That's, you know, again, safety, right? It just wants to keep you alive. So the negativity bias is to protect you. It's to like always be like, what if something goes wrong? What if, what if there's a danger, right? And when we were animals or like living in caves, we had to have that Because otherwise we probably wouldn't have survived. Mm -hmm. And through evolution, that was rewarded and that was hardwired. And we still have it because we've been living like this for so short time. Today in your life, the negativity bias is not serving you unless you happen to right now be in a war zone or, you know, in a place that's extremely dangerous. But to probably most of the people listening to this, like there's no reason for the negativity bias, but it's still there. And that's part of the reason why. Loving and supporting yourself and doing these positive practices always is a practice because you're counterbalancing that. What if somebody's going to attack me right now?
1: what if thoughts, what if equals to me anxiety. I'm like, mm-hmm. I want to hear from you what is hypnosis because now that I have done a full session or a full, would you call it a session? Like a full hypnosis yeah. in yeah. class. It was such an amazing, amazing feeling. I would love for you to explain what is actually happening in hypnosis versus what we see on TV, because that I think is what scared me is that I was like, (laughs) oh, my God, she's going to come in and like take over my mind.
0: (laughs) I mean, first of all, it's amazing how much hypnosis there is in like horror movies. and, And even so even for my son, who's four years old, like I've seen like several of his cartoons being like people being hypnotized, like going to rob banks or doing things against their will. And it's just so ingrained in pop culture that unless you get the other side of, you know, what a hypnotist actually do, like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to have that. And I had that. When Shauna, my best friend, became a hypnotist, she was like, I think, you know, this would be something for you as well. And, and I resisted it because I was like, I think hypnosis is a weird thing. And I, and I also wasn't sure if it was also a scam
1: Totally. So that's another like, thing. It's like, like psychics like, is it and it too, all that stuff.
0: Is it too effective or is it not working? Like it kind of had both those spheres at the yeah. same time. The truth is that we go in and out of trance all the time. Hmm. So all the time we're going in and out of trance and. Any behavior, any problem we have and anything that's going well for us is probably a a trance. You know, it's something that clicks in, you know, like the way you act with your boyfriend, the way you are at work, the way you drive your car, you brush your teeth. I mean, it's all a form of a trance. What is a trance? So a trance is your conscious mind deciding how to do something and then delegating it to the subconscious mind. Because the conscious mind is like the CEO. And it takes... Incredible amounts of energy to make conscious decisions. We all know that because when we have like a really big decision to make, we're like, ha, you know? So if you think about a day, in reality, you make thousands and thousands of small decisions, but they never go through the conscious mind. They're delegated. So instead of making a pro and con list and, and making like, you know, an educated decision, you just base it on a program, you base it on what's worked in the past. The problem with these programs is when your circumstances change. A lot of programs are from the childhood. Mm-hmm. They say most of our programming actually is from childhood. And so if you had um, a circumstance during the childhood, which, which first of all, there's one circumstance that's extremely different. It's, it's you can't walk away from your home as a child. Like it's not like, oh, if you're in an abusive Uh, situation, you can't just walk away because it's your home and you're a child and you don't have that opportunity. That program is why people stay in abusive relationships because it's the same program. It's like... The familiarity. Yeah. it's Even more than the familiarity, it's like something that's been done. And yeah. Going back to the question. So since we go in and out of trance all the time and most of, you know, it's hard to give exact numbers, but they say typically 95% of your choices are made by the subconscious mind, meaning it's a program. It's something that's, you know, running in the background. And your conscious mind is kind of focusing on other things. You're, foc- you're focusing on, you know, the big decisions, you know, the things that are new. In order to make somebody go into a trance, you have to, first of all, make them feel like there's nothing new. <laughs> because the newness makes the conscious mind kicks in. Mm. So the first hypnosis session is the hardest in a way because of that, because it's so new and the conscious mind is so curious. What is this? You know, am I going to go into a trance? Am I in a trance right now? Is it working? Am I deep enough, right? <laughs> so I always had, have to have that talk before the first time somebody goes in that that's going to happen and it's okay. But eventually what needs to happen for you to go into trance is for you to feel so comfortable, so comfortable, so safe and so familiar that your conscious mind takes a break.
1: And you can let go.
0: Yeah, you let go of that because the conscious mind is the gatekeeper. So if you want to change the subconscious program, you have to send the conscious mind on a break. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that your subconscious mind will do something that it thinks will be bad for you. Mm. So when you're in a trance, if you receive a suggestion that it doesn't seem like a good idea for you. You're not going to do it. So during the session you did, which, which was a group session, it was all suggestions that typically everyone can benefit from, right? Like, it's like you love yourself, you support yourself, you're your own best friend, you, those kind of suggestions. Mm-hmm. Again, if you don't think it's a good idea, you're not going to do it. Right. So so there's no way to really like force people into change. There is in the movies.
1: So you do one session with people, which I, I find fascinating. You call it the transformational hypnosis session, right? So what what is happening there? You say that it's like planting the seed. What happens there in that one session that then they take on to do what with?
0: So what happens is there's a pre-talk. The pre-talk can be pretty long for a transformational session. It can be like... Um, Up to an hour. And in the pre talk, I get endlessly curious. Because remember, like, there are no rules for the subconscious mind in that sense. So, what this person is doing that they want to stop doing, or what they're not doing that they want to start doing, you get so curious. How are you doing it? When are you doing it? What are the situations that make you do that? How does it feel when you do it? What's the benefit? What's the cost? You know, you get so curious. Most of the time, we haven't thought about that because, again, we're so stuck in the why. And the why is kind of like overshadowing that the most important part is like, how am I doing it? How, when, what? What do you find to be the most common thing that people come to you for when you boil it down? Anxiety. Hmm. Because anxiety takes all kinds of forms, Right. So a lot of time it's anxiety and it's anxiety that makes you create walls or, or sometimes the opposite, like become a people pleaser and not have boundaries or it it makes you do things to protect yourself. Again, positive intention, but it's too much or it's not in the, you know, in a good way for you. It's not working for you. And again, this is all what this person wants. So, I'm not a psychoanalyst. I'm not going to like interview you and then tell you this is what I think you should mm-hmm. be doing. Never. Like it has to be what you want. I am just endlessly curious. And when I start a session asking, what do you want? Because that's usually like, we laugh about it. Like it's like our first session. So, so what do you want to change? Because it's change work. And most people are like, what? <laughs> but but you came to a hypnotist and it's change work. So what do you want to change? And then, you know, it can take an hour to figure this out, you know, because it's not the top of your mind to a lot of people. The top of mind is what you don't like. People are really good at describing what they don't like in their lives. I don't like that I'm doing it this way. I don't like this and this. So So you have to flip that into what do you want?
1: What are your thoughts on the balance between... Loving and accepting yourself exactly as you are without needing to change anything and also doing something like this, that is
0: clearly the goal is to change something. How do you strike that balance? Loving and supporting yourself. It has to be as you are. Otherwise it's not love and support. So imagine you're in a relationship and somebody's like, I love you so much, but you do have to change this in order to receive my love. And, if we do it to ourselves it's almost worse because we're the most important person in our lives so so when we love and support ourselves it has to be as we are like there's no way we can do the i'm going to love myself once i lose the weight i'm going to love myself once i fix myself once i get rid of my problems once i exercise more or have a better job or you know when we put conditions on the love it's not love it doesn't feel like love you can say it to yourself i love myself but I have to do this and that. The but is going to negate the whole love. You're not going to feel loved. You wouldn't do it for somebody else and you're not going to do it from yourself. So if the foundation of everything is the self-love and the self-trust, if that's the foundation that you need in order to make changes happen, then you have to start with loving yourself as you are.
1: I'm really curious because it's like, if you, you love and accept yourself exactly as you are and you want to change is that loving and accepting yourself exactly as you are? Because if you loved and accepted yourself exactly as you are, wouldn't you just be content with that version of you? I mean, if if you're loving and accepting it's, yourself.
0: Is, is the goal of life to stay the same? No, but I guess I, 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 do you get my question? I do. And and I think it's a very common limiting belief that like to love something fully, you don't want to change it, but I think it's a limiting belief because if you really think of life, life is like a series of changes, how you constantly change uh, in accordance to what you want next, to your circumstances, to the face you're in, right? So you love and accept yourself because you realize that everything that you've done has always been with a positive intention and according to the circumstance that you've been in And, and you love yourself and you accept yourself. And this is what you think would make your life even better. This is how you want to serve yourself. You know, So it's not, it's so important to not think about it as fixing yourself or or repairing yourself or that you're broken or there's something wrong with you, right? Because if it comes from that place of, yeah, there's something wrong with me, then of course that is going to negate that I love myself, you know, to some degree. But if it comes from this place of, I love myself so much that I want what's best for me. And I see that there are things that I could do that would make me happier, that will serve me, that would, you know?
1: A hundred thousand percent. I love that distinction because it's like, I love and accept myself exactly as I am. And I am deserving of trying this out. Yeah. And I and I want to see what this version would be, or I want to see or explore this thing. That actually leads me to the question that I ask all of my guests what is your active ingredient? What is the thing that, and it doesn't have to be hypnosis by the way. It just, I just saw you light up a lot, but what is something that you think is what makes
0: you feel alive is what I call our active ingredient. Oh, what makes me feel alive. I mean, I wanted to say when you first say active ingredient, I want to say imagination. And yeah, I think in a way that's what makes me feel alive. The fact that I can like, I can imagine something if I'm in a place where I don't want to be, I can imagine something else. And even when I'm in a good place, I can keep imagining and and creating something. I
1: love that answer. I want to give our listeners a tool Mm -hmm. that they can do right now or tomorrow or something that they can just have in their toolbox that could be a practice of hypnosis or just something that you want to share with them that you think would be beneficial. Again, our listeners are seekers they are curious, they do the work, just something that you've seen that has been helpful for maybe your clients, maybe in yoga, just anything.
0: Yeah, I I think I want to go back to what we talked about already, which is when you have a problem, quote unquote problem, you, you perceive it as a problem. It's something that you don't want anymore. Get curious, how am I doing this? Then get curious, how would I do it instead? How would somebody who didn't have this problem do it? How would I ide- ideally do it? Get, get creative with it. Sometimes I put in a um, Hollywood actor. Like, like I have a client who always, how would Brad Pitt and Ocean's Eleven do it? <laughs> that is amazing. So, so get super creative with yourself. Because if you can imagine it, if you can imagine the solution, it's going to happen if you can imagine that version of yourself, it already exists. Yeah. That's the thing. If you never imagined it, yes, you can have like a mental block towards it. Right. But if you already imagined it, if you already felt it, you saw it, you were there in your dream. You know how dreams are so powerful like that, right? You dream something and you're like, wow, like, yes, you have like an awkward dream about like, somebody, right? Like like a sex dream, let's say. Next time you see them, I mean, you're so awkward, (laughs) right? Because it's like your whole subconscious mind thinks this has happened. You know it didn't happen, but your subconscious mind is like, holy shit. (laughs) Totally. So, So use that to your advantage. Like your imagination is your superpower. If you focus on what you don't want, that is going to be huge around you, surrounding you. Mm. But if you focus on what you want, that's, Gonna lead you right there.
1: I love it. I have one more question that I'm gonna weave into the show. So when you're being hypnotized, are you like in a trance and you're like speaking things? That's what I envision. That you're mm-hmm. like, like things are coming out. Like, are you just out? Like this last one, not the previous one with the flowers that you did to us. No, this meditation. I think I don't. I don't know that it was a hypnosis. The that, that the chakra meditation we did. Yeah. That that was a meditation. I like. I don't know if I was asleep or in a trance. I couldn't tell. But the previous one, I was there, but I was gone. I was like, I I wasn't asleep. I was somewhere beautiful, but I was there.
0: That sounds like the ideal place. That's what you want for hypnosis to work the best. You want to not have your, you know, conscious mind there interrupting. You're just kind of like, if I'm like, you're floating on a cloud, you're floating on that cloud. I mean, part of you always know it's not real, right? And, and if something happens around you, I mean, if there's a loud sound or something, y- you're, you're back in a split second. And there's no way you can get stuck there, by the way. <laughs> like, is that a fear for a lot of people of getting yeah, stuck? Yeah, because in, in movies, yeah. So no, you can't get stuck there.
1: What is the difference between meditating and having like
0: a visualization meditation versus hypnosis? There's no difference at that point. So you, hypnosis and meditation like overlaps in that way. Then probably if I started asking you questions about that vision, you would call it hypnosis because typically in meditation... Because you're
1: extracting and in meditation you're by yourself?
0: Yeah, I don't know of any meditation styles where you're being like interviewed during the meditation. Maybe there Mm. is. I mean, who knows? Because they overlap a lot, honestly. But the main difference really is that with hypnosis, since it's change work, you typically go in and you want to change something. With meditation... Typically, it's more of a practice to soothe yourself and find your balance and see what comes up. It's much more open, like especially mindfulness meditation, which is kind of like the most common one. It's like you're sitting with your thoughts and you're observing. You're not actively changing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but you 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 will change if that's your daily practice. As you know, you will change. But with hypnosis, that's why you can do one transformational session, because it's so extreme that you actually go, you see your future self, you go back to the past, you support your childhood self. And, you know, you do this active reprogramming, which with meditation might be more of a long term thing that happens over years, years. and and sometimes I work with people that have meditated for a long time. And this was the case for me that there were certain things that I never got to reprogram in meditation. Like I really needed that active part of hypnosis to to get to reprogram those things.
1: Hmm. Very interesting. You might be getting a call for me. <laughs> okay. Is there something that you want to leave our listeners with? I know you've given so many incredible tools, but... I actually want to say one and then I'll let you close the Mm -hmm. podcast with saying one. Just something that you told us in our last class, but I don't know how relevant this is to hypnosis. I guess it is. I mean, it's all kind of relevant, but that emotions last for roughly 90 seconds. And average, on average, I, I don't know how tied, this just really made an impression on me. So I just want to say this on this episode. I don't know where it'll lie within the episode, but... What you taught us, that, that emotions are really, that, that they're fleeting and that they're roughly, on average, 90 seconds, not identifying with that emotion is an incredibly valuable practice. Can you expand on that a little bit?
0: That is mindfulness. So mindfulness is, is to notice that we constantly have thoughts and emotions and sensations. And, and because they're constantly changing and they're the whole range of, of the spectrum... If we think that we're always the emotion we're feeling, like I feel good, so I'm good, I feel bad, so I'm bad, then we're going to feel like we're a roller coaster. <laughs> a complete roller coaster. So so by observing that, we start to identify with the sky and not with the weather. That's beautiful. I mean, that was life-changing for me. It was it was it was amazing. But but like I said, if you have some very deep problematic beliefs or negative thoughts, then hypnosis is good to go in and change those.
1: That are persistent and that manifest with behaviors, right? Yeah.
0: Sometimes, you know, meditation won't change that. Sometimes it will. I mean, if it works for you, amazing.
1: Yeah, amazing. Okay, so is there anything that you're like, man, I really, if I can get this to really land with someone, like that is the best thing that I can give them?
0: If I do a session with somebody and they leave realizing that, they can imagine any change that they want and make it happen in with their own imagination. That's it. That's totally it.
1: Oh, thank you mm. so much for being on this podcast. I'm so grateful. Are you accepting clients right now? I am. Yeah. Okay. So I'll put all of your information in the show notes. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much. <laughs> it was amazing to be uh. here.
1: Thank you so much for making it all the way to the end of the episode. You have no idea how much it means to me. And I really do hope that you left this conversation feeling lighter, more in tune and with some tools to apply to your own life. Please feel free to reach out to me via DM on Instagram. I would absolutely love that, which I have linked in the show notes on any feedback or guests that you want to have on. And if you do have a second, I would really appreciate you giving the podcast five stars on Apple Podcasts and a quick review. It really helps getting the podcast in front of more people like you. See you next week.